This episode of Your Catholic Life is brought to you by Iowa Catholic Radio, connecting listeners with Christ, iowacatholicradio.com, and everywhere you are on the free Iowa Catholic Radio app. Welcome in, everyone, to Your Catholic Life, a podcast for Catholics by Catholics, helping you grow in your faith. I'm John Leonetti, your host. It's Lent, and what better time to reflect on our Lord's passion than now? My guest today is a speaker, author, and theologian who's well-known for his work with sacred scripture, and that includes the book we're going to discuss today, No Greater Love, A Biblical Walk Through the Passion. I had a lot of questions for him, and he did not disappoint. Here he is, my conversation with Dr. Edward Sri. Hello, Doctor. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on, man. I, I really appreciate it here. This is this seems like the perfect book for Lent. Uh, friends, if you don't read any book during Lent except for one, this is the book I'm going to point you to. Uh, again, no greater love. Let's just get right into it. What do we mean when we say Christ's passion? Yeah, the word passion itself is rooted in a Latin word, passio, which means suffering. So that's traditionally why we call it Christ's passion. But I think there's a, a, a modern sense that also comes out beautifully here, something Pope Benedict brought out. It's the idea that, you know, Jesus is so in love with us that he wants to do everything he can to bring us back, to be reconciled to the Father, so he's passionately in love with us so much that he's willing to even lay down his life and sacrifice himself for our sins. And so I, I think that's another layer of meaning here, is to see the beauty of God's love for us. And Sometimes we as Catholics, when we think about the cross, we think of it as all about, oh, Jesus took out all this suffering and this pain, and that's all true. But we, we sometimes forget that love is the, the heart of this. And there's a, a great quote from St. Catherine of Siena that I, I bring out in the book that she said, you know, the nails, the nails on the cross could not have held Christ there if love had not held him there first. And so what I try to do in the book is walk us through step by step from, from Gethsemane all the way to Calvary and really enter into what Jesus was doing. And what we're going to see is his amazing love for us so we can encounter it more and then live it in our own daily lives. You know, Doctor, you know this. He walked 10 football fields with that tree on his back. I mean, at 10 football fields. You, you talk about suffering there and, and nailed to it as well. I mean, the, the different sufferings that he went through, talk about the scourging to the pillar. What, what do we know about what he suffered there? Yeah, you know, that the scene from Mel Gibson's film, <laughs> the scourging, to me, that was, that was harder to watch than the actual crucifixion. I thought that was one of the most intense mm-hmm. scenes in the whole movie. But I, I think it's accurate from what we know historically about scourgings. You know, uh, this wasn't just a whipping. Sometimes people think that, oh, Jesus got 39 lashes, and they get this idea because the Jews had a law that you couldn't whip somebody uh, for more than 39 lashes, right? So they, they would think that that's what it was, but that's not what's going on here. Jesus did not get a Jewish whipping. He got a Roman scourging. It was the Roman soldiers that did this, did this to him, and they would have leather thongs that would have pieces of sharp metal or bones at the end of it that would, that would rip into the skin and, and tear out and open and expose the muscles and uh, and, and, and there were no limits of how many times you could be scourged. I mean, this kept going on and on and on, like it did in the movie. And uh, it, sometimes it was used to torture, pa- torture prisoners. Many times it was used, like in, in Jesus' case, as a prelude to a crucifixion. So if you wanted to crucify someone very quickly, you would give them a severe scourging so that you could almost kill someone uh, before they even got to, to the 
to the place of crucifixion. But if you wanted to let the crucifixion go a long time, you would do a lighter scourging so that then they would be on the cross longer. And sometimes crucifixions would normally take place, would normally take a, a day or two or even three to crucify someone. The fact that Jesus died within three hours, hmm. that, that is such a short crucifixion. That tells us that he got a most severe scourging. He was practically dead. He was almost dead by the time he got to Calvary, uh, which explains why the tradition of him falling several times on the cross. And uh, So the scourging he got was, was so intense, it, was, it, all, it brought him to the brink of death. And you would have to push yourself up on the cross constantly, kind of that pumping of legs to even catch your next breath. So, I mean, going by and breaking the, 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 the legs of the crucified, they, they went to Jesus. They didn't need to break his legs, of course, because he was already dead within those, those three hours, as we know. Well, why, did, why did he do this, doctor? I mean, we, we say Jesus saves us here, but what, what did that really accomplish for us, him dying for us? Think of it this way, and this is the great tradition of the Catholic Church, is that it, as the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, it, it, it's all about the, the love of Jesus. That's, that's what gives the, the cross its redemptive value. J.P. Two mentions this. It's in the Catechism. One of my favorite quotes is uh, a quote from St. Anselm that um, just one drop of Christ's blood, just one drop was enough to bring about the salvation of the world. So it's more like Christ comes, the Son of God enters into our humanity. And he's a truly human, uh, uh, he enters, a, has true human nature, so he can represent us. He represents the human family, and he's offering a gift of love. It's like when you do something wrong with your wife or with a friend or a coworker, you want to do something. You know, buy your wife flowers or you take her out to dinner. You do something to try to make up for what you've done. We as human beings, we're finite human beings. There's nothing we can do to make up for the infinite gap between us and God that's caused by our sin. So the beauty is this, is that only God could fix this problem. So the Son of God becomes human takes on the, the human nature, and he represents us, and he offers an act of love representing us on our behalf. But his act of love takes on infinite value because of who he is, because he's God. You know, so at that, at, that's the beauty of what this is. It's all about a great gift of love that he's offering for us. There's a mysterious scene here uh, right before all of this happens. And, you know, he, Jesus says, Father, if it, if it be possible, let this cup pass. Was, was Jesus... Was he having second thoughts here, thinking of maybe backing out of this whole thing? Yeah, once again, this, uh, that, that's Jesus expressing himself in his human nature. So if Jesus is truly human, then being betrayed, scourged, and, and crucified is not something any ordinary uh, human would, would look forward to, because Jesus is truly human. He's, respect, he's, he's expressing his repugnance toward the suffering he's about to endure. So that's what he's doing there. But, but we also have to see that he's fully divine. Because in the very next breath, he goes on and says, But Father, not my will, may your will be done. In other words, his mm. human will is perfectly united to the Father's will. So he's, it's like he's looking death square in the eye and is acknowledging, This is going to really hurt. And yet he says, But I embrace this because I want to fulfill the Father's plan. So that's a beautiful line for us, that especially this Lent, when we have to do something difficult like today. I really want some meat. <laughs> you know, I, wanna, I want that chocolate I gave up, or I want to watch that show I gave up. It's hard, and we acknowledge this is hard. But let's be like Jesus and embrace the crosses, not drag them and complain and whine and hesitate. Let, let's embrace them fully uh, like Jesus did. What's the meaning behind the crowning of thorns? You know, so much there, too. You know, the uh, Roman soldiers bowing down uh, before Jesus, and they're shouting out, Hail to the King, uh, and they're, 
they put a purple robe on him and they give him a, a, a royal a, a staff. That this is a, the purple is a, a symbol of royalty. The the staff symbolizes like a royal scepter. They're treating him like a king. They're doing it all in jest. They're mocking him. But what the Gospels bring out is this great irony that uh, the world thinks that the the last thing Jesus is is a king. I mean, he's a failed Messiah. He's crucified by the Romans, and they're, they're just humiliating him. And yet, the Gospels record the story to show us the truth, that that these soldiers unwittingly are pointing to the reality that Jesus really is the king of the universe. And as they're bowing down and falling on their knees before Christ in jest, I think on the, uh, when they go before the judgment seat of Christ <laughs> at the end of the, at the end of time, they're, they're going to regret because uh, they're going to find themselves in that same position, bowing down, kneeling before Him. Because Jesus, because the Gospels, tell, the New Testament tells us every knee will bend before Christ in heaven, on earth, mm-hmm. and under the earth, and they're going to regret what they did on, on Good Friday. Jesus says at the end here, He says, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" Uh, wh- what does He mean by that? Is Jesus abandoned by the Father? Is he really rejected by God the Father on Calvary? Well, what he's doing here is quoting the opening line of a famous song in the Jewish tradition. It comes from the Old Testament, Psalm 22. And there was a rabbinic tradition that you would, a teacher would quote a line from an Old Testament passage to bring to mind the whole story, the whole context, not just that particular verse. It'd be kind of like if you asked me, hey, Edward Three, what band did you listen to in college? And I said, oh, it's a beautiful day, and I, haven't still, I, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, and uh, I'm going to keep talking like this, John, with or without you. You know, <laughs> If you know the cultural references, you know I'm quoting Bono and the band U2, right? But if you didn't know it, you think I'm talking gibberish. Well, this is what's happening here. Jesus, if we know the pop culture of Jesus' day, which wasn't Hollywood or YouTube, it was the Old Testament scriptures, you're going to immediately know, oh, he's quoting that oldie, Psalm 22, which is a psalm about a man going through great suffering and being rejected and persecuted, and he feels as if he's been abandoned by God. And, and what's fascinating is yet that even though he's struggling, he still remembers that, but God, I know you're there. I know you've always rescued our ancestors, and I trust you're going to rescue me in my suffering. So great is his confidence in God. I, it's, act, it's not a song of despair. It's actually like a song of great hope. In trial, he says, in the end, that all the nations are going to come and worship God as the king because of this suffering he's going through. So his suffering, he believes, has redemptive value. The most fascinating thing about Psalm 22, John, though, is this. Listen to what Psalm 22 says. It says that this righteous man is going to be persecuted. He's going to be mocked by his enemies. His enemies will wag their heads. Uh, And it goes on to say this man is going to be pierced in his hands and his feet, and they're going to take his garments and they're going to divide them, and they're going to cast lots for the garments. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) This is all a prophecy about what happens with Jesus on Good Friday, when his enemies mock him on the cross, they pass by Calvary and wag their heads, Jesus' hands and feet are pierced as he's nailed to the cross, and the soldiers take Jesus' garments, divide them, and cast lots for them. It's all a prophecy about Jesus' death on the cross. And Jesus is quoting it to show, look what happened. All that's happening here, it's a fulfillment of Psalm 22. This is incredible. I really appreciate you coming on. No Greater Love is the book. Ascension Press uh, is where you can go. Go to Ascension Press and get it. Otherwise, go to Divine Treasures. If they don't have it there, they will order it for you. Keep up the great work, Doctor. I really appreciate you coming on this morning. So there you have it, friends. There is just simply no better time to study the passion of our Lord than now. 
But there's something deeper Christ calls us to, to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow him. That's the biblical call. That looks different for everyone. But there's one thing we know for sure. That's the call for each of us. Friends, make sure to share this and other episodes of Your Catholic Life on Facebook and Twitter, inviting them to take part in the show. Visit our website at yourcatholiclifepodcast.com as well. Thanks for tuning in today, friends. I am John Leonetti, signing off here on Your Catholic Life. Remember, the only way to happiness is by holiness. Be confident in Christ's mercy and his love today.